Yeah, this ought to be a really fun, low-key topic, right? Not. I'm looking forward to this about like I'm looking forward to a root canal. And some of you are wondering, like, what kind of church? Like, new people are like, what kind of church have I come to? You know, I've said for years that the most difficult topic for a pastor to teach on within the church is money. And the reason for that is because money is such an emotional topic for us. We get emotional about money. But now I would have to say that politics, this topic is right up there. Have you guys noticed over the last maybe seven or eight years just how emotional we have become about our politics, right? Just the subject, just as soon as it comes up, the blood pressure goes up. We get all of these strong feelings and emotions. And I hate to be the one to break this to you, but those emotions are just going to get cranked up more and more over these next couple of months as we head into what I am sure is going to be a very contentious election, these midterm elections coming up this November But you know what I've realized? Nowadays, the politicking never stops, right? It's year round. I remember back in the day, like, you know, politics would be on TV and everything in the months leading up to an election. But as soon as the election was over, we just go back to life as normal till the next one. Well, now, as soon as one election is over, the campaigning immediately begins. It's a year round sport in our nation. In fact, I think I'm safe in saying this, that the most dominant topic in our culture today is politics. It's what's talked about on social media, the news media. I mean, think about it. What we used to call the nightly news where we would tune in and find out what's going on in our nation, in the world, that that nightly news has now been replaced with political commentary. That's what national news is, right? Political commentary. And even when they report a story about an event, let's say about the wildfires out west or or another tragic school shooting, they give us about two minutes of information about what happened and then about 20 minutes worth of how the other side is to blame for that happening. And if we're not careful... This overemphasis of politics, this overly exaggerated importance of politics creeps into the church. According to some recent Barna surveys over the last year, 38% of pastors in America have considered leaving the ministry this past year because of political divisions within the churches that they lead. Think about that. Almost four out of 10 pastors have seriously considered leaving the ministry, not because they're burnt out, not because they don't feel called, not because they don't love the church and want to serve it, but simply because of divisions that exist, political divisions within their church family. And if we're not careful, this over-exaggeration of the importance of politics can cause us as Christ followers and as churches to get off mission and end up fighting the wrong fight. 
In fact, notice what Paul, the Apostle Paul, writes to his young protege, Pastor Timothy, in 1 Timothy 6, 12. Paul says, fight the good fight of what? What does that say? Of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. As Christ followers, we are not called to win elections. We are not even called to save a nation. We are called to live out our faith in a way that makes an eternal difference in the lives of people around us. We're not Republicans or Democrats. We are ambassadors of the King of Kings. And his kingdom is not of this world. So does that mean as Christians we should not get involved politically? Should we just say that's too dirty, that's too corrupt, wash our hands of it? No, absolutely not. In fact, the Bible is crystal clear that as Christ followers, we are to do everything that we can do to improve the lives of our people in our community, of our nation. And that means because God has shed his grace on this nation and we have the ability to vote and have our voice heard, we ought to do everything we can to allow God's voice to be heard, to vote our values, biblical, eternal kingdom values, not our personal political preferences. Yes, we are to engage in politics. Yes, we are to allow our faith into our politics, but we are never, ever, ever to put our faith in politics. Our faith is in the God of the universe and his kingdom and his glory and his power. So what I want to do over these next four weeks to prepare ourselves for this next election cycle is I want us to explore this intersection of faith and politics. How do I do this? How do I live out my faith in my politics without putting my faith in politics? And I was reminded of those words of Chuck Colson from 40-something years ago. He said, as Christians, our hope is not in who governs us or what laws are passed. Our hope is in the power of God to transform a nation through the power of Jesus Christ by transforming the hearts of people. And so today, as we kind of begin this journey, the first thing I want us to look at today is how to keep faith in elections. Now, I know that's a provocative title, right? How to keeping faith in elections with all the talk about, you know, stolen elections and not election integrity and vote ballot stuffing and all of that. But that's not what I'm talking about. How can we make sure our elections are accurate? I'm talking about how can we live out our faith in this coming election? And I just want to share with you today four principles, four practical ways to keep faith in elections. So let's jump in. Number one, first thing we have to do is recognize the limits of politics. We have to recognize the limits of politics. Do you know why there's an over-exaggeration of the importance of politics in our nation today? 
Do you know why politics is becoming more and more important in our nation? It's because of the lessening importance of God in our nation. Here's what I mean by that. If there's no God, then the only thing powerful enough to make the changes we need in society is government. And so if you don't have a God, if you see a problem, you don't naturally turn to God, then the only alternative is to turn to government. It's the only thing big enough that can solve all of our social ills. That's why politics is becoming so important. It's where people are looking for, for hope and change and a difference. And which, by the way, I'm not just talking about atheists who don't believe in the existence of a God. I'm talking about those of us who say we believe in God. We just don't turn to him in order to solve the problems. Question, when you first heard the news of the tragic school shooting in Uvalde, Texas, when when you heard that news, what was your first reaction? Did you fall on your knees and plead for God to heal those families and to protect our children? Or was your first thought, well, we need gun control laws or we need to arm teachers? Did you go for a political solution or did you turn to the God of the universe? What do you think is more powerful? What do you think can make a difference? The next election or the God of the universe? You know, in the New Testament book of Ephesians, again, the apostle Paul is writing a letter to encourage a group of Christians who live in a culture not where they're losing political power, but Christians who live in a culture where they have never had, nor will they ever have any political power. Power. The church at Ephesus, they didn't get to vote. They had no control. Imagine that. Zero input on how you are governed, what laws are passed, what's just, what's not just. They had no political power. And so Paul, to encourage them, writes these words, Ephesians 1.22. He says, don't forget, church, God has put all things, all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things. And don't miss this, for the benefit of the church, not the benefit of a nation, not the benefit of a political party, but for the benefit of his church, his body. Why Why is the church so important? Because we got the right beliefs. We know the way people ought to act and the moral code they ought to follow. No, because we carry a mission of hope. We carry a message of light into the darkness. And we don't need a politician. We don't need laws. And we don't need government protection for the church. The God of the universe says... I will protect my church. Look at Jesus' words. Matthew 16, 18. Jesus said, I'll build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Do you really believe a group of people in Washington or mass mandates or or the inability to gather in large groups for a couple of months, you really think that's going to stop the work of the kingdom through God's church? Absolutely not. So stop getting so bent out of shape. 
about every political decision, every vote, every Supreme Court decision. Recognize politics is limited. God is not. That leads to the second thing we have to do to keep faith in elections, and that is you gotta know where your hope comes from. Know where your hope comes from. Almost all political campaigns run on a platform of hope. Every politician wants you to believe that if you are elected, they are the person that can provide you with a better future. They are the hope for the future. From Barack Obama in 2008, change we need, to Donald Trump in 2016, making America great again. They're all selling us hope for the future. The problem is they cannot deliver. No politician, no political persuasion, no election can give us hope. In fact, look at what the Bible says in Psalm 146.3. Do not put your trust in princes. You know what a prince is? That's a political leader, a government leader. Don't put your trust in princes. Don't put your trust in human beings who cannot save you. By the way, you know who wrote those words? King David. The greatest political leader maybe in all of human history. But he said, don't put your trust in any political, in any human being. And if you read the rest of that psalm, he goes on to say, because they end up eventually in the dirt, and even their greatest ideas and agendas end up in the dirt. Know where your hope comes from, church. You also need to recognize that all social problems Every issue, every problem we see in our society today is rooted in spiritual issues. What you see happening is not, that's the symptom, not the cause. The cause is the brokenness of the human heart. Murder, adultery, jealousy, greed, all the things that create so much chaos in our culture. Jesus said those all are issues of the heart. You can't legislate the heart. Read the Old Testament. If rules and regulations and moral codes of behavior could change the world, the world would have been changed without Jesus having to come. Only Jesus can change the heart. In fact, notice this great, another Old Testament verse from the prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah 17. He puts it just pretty straightforward. Cursed are those who put their trust in mere humans, who rely on human strength. Cursed, but blessed. Blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. Where's your hope this election season? Is your hope in your side winning a filibuster-proof majority? Are you putting your hope in the God who rules all the nations with truth and justice? You've got to recognize the limit of politics. You've got to know where your hope comes from. And then number three, the hardest one of all, value unity over winning. Value unity 
over winning. And this is by far the hardest, and it's become harder and harder every day because we are constantly bombarded by the media, by social media, and we are told that the people on the other side of the political issues are not just people with a different viewpoint. They're not just people who have a different set of ideas of how to fix things. They're not just people who have lived a different set of life experience. We are told people on the other side of the aisle are either stupid, low character, or they are evil incarnate. And let me just tell you, as Christ followers, we don't go there. I don't care what Fox News says. I don't care what MSNBC says. I don't care what your favorite flavor of political commentary says. As Christ followers, we don't throw rocks at people who are different than us. We serve a kingdom that's marked by love, not hate. By compassion, not intolerance. We get so caught up in trying to win because we think, you know, it's going to make us winners that we tear down people who are different. Why don't we act that way? Why don't we stereotype? Why aren't we allowed to demonize people if they're doing bad things? Let me tell you something. Because if they're Christ followers... They're a brother and sister in Christ, even if they're red or blue, right? They're a brother and sister in Christ. I had to break this to you. Some of you are going to be shocked. There are Christ followers who vote differently from you. There are Christ followers who are supportive of a different political party than you. And their role as a brother and sister in Christ trumps whether or not they're a red stater or a blue stater, a Biden or a Trumper or whatever you want to call it. And look, even if they're not Christ followers, you recognize they're not the enemy, they're the target. They're the mission. When you behave that way and say hateful, hurtful things about people on the other side of the political aisle, you immediately take out half of the mission field we've been called to reach because it's half of the nation. We have a higher calling and unity and love has to trump that every time. See, that's the problem with politics. Politics always divides, always. That's the very nature of politics, to divide right? Think about it. Anytime you vote on anything, somebody wins and somebody loses. You create winners and losers, which by the way, in case you've ever wondered why we don't vote on much stuff here at Cedar Creek Church, it's because just because of that. If we voted on the color of the carpet or the music or the next student director we would hire, every time we would vote, we'd have winners and losers. And eventually, you vote on enough stuff and you have a church full of people who feel like losers, who like they aren't being heard or that their opinion doesn't matter. And yet we allow politicians to do that to us and the news media to do that to us in the very mission field that we are called to reach in the name of Jesus. And let me tell you something, any politician will tell you, if they're honest, they will tell you they can raise more money 
and get more votes by creating fear and division rather than just an exchange of ideas about an issue. You know why there's so many attack ads in politics? Because they work. Right? A politician, if they can cause you to be afraid, oh, they're coming to take it away. They're going to take away our rights. They're going to destroy our country. You, uh, you got to have me. I'm the only one who can solve it. All of a sudden, we're driven by fear. And when we do that, people different than us become the enemy rather than a brother and sister in Christ or just a hurting, broken person that's confused and struggling in darkness and desperately in need of the light. We need to be very careful, church, very careful that we not let that divisive mindset of politics creep into the family of God. Of course, political divisions in church is not new. In fact, the division we have now in our churches is nothing compared to the divisions that existed in the early church, the first century church. First of all, recognize they were made up of Jews and Gentiles. You can't get more different than Jews and Gentiles, right? Different culture, different moral standards, different religious belief. I mean, think of the most far-right, conservative, extreme person you know, and think of the most far-left, liberal-leaning person you know. I mean, deep red and deep blue, and then imagine putting two groups of them together in a home group, meeting on Wednesday night. That's what the early church was like. You can imagine. Then on top of that, the early church was incredibly multi, multicultural, right? Because Paul was strategic in where he planted churches. He often planted churches in cities that were at the crossroads of trade routes. So you have people from all over the world. That was great strategy for spreading the gospel around the world, but it sure made doing church hard, right? Because you had all of these differences. And so when Paul goes to address these churches about these differences. His primary focus on their differences is not telling them, well, who's right and who's wrong, which side is good and which side is bad. His primary focus is unity. In fact, notice Ephesians chapter, first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, Paul focuses on reminding this very divided church of Jews and Gentiles of what they do have in common. And then in chapter four, notice what he says. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, not in your politics, not in your voting, not in your personal opinions, but united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body, one spirit, just as you have been called to the one glorious hope for the future. You know what? That might be a great passage for all of us to memorize for these next three months. 
Until it's a great passage to print out or write it out on a card and put it on your computer screen or your car. Wherever you engage social media, use that verse to filter what you post and why you post. In fact, this, is, these, this passage, this is a great set of ground rules for your home group discussions over the next couple of weeks. Make this your ground rules. Make this how we treat one another in the family of God. And one of the things I love deeply about Cedar Creek Church, I think back over the 23 years that I've been blessed to be a part of this amazing church family, I'm always blown away by the level of our unity and yet the lack of our uniformity that we have such incredible diversity in this church family. All kinds of different people from different places across all of our campuses. And yet, there's an overwhelming sense of unity. You know why that is? Because from day one until today at Cedar Creek Church, mission trumps political preferences. And as Pastor Danny so eloquently reminded us last week, it's not about us. It's not about me winning. It's not about us getting our way. It is about serving a kingdom and an eternal king. But can I say this to you, church? In all love, that unity is extremely fragile. And it's going to get more and more fragile. As the world around us gets more politically divided, we church, individually and collectively, must be that much more intentional about not allowing the things of this world that really don't matter in eternity to divide the love that we have for one another. That may sound like I'm saying you can't have a political opinion. Or if you have one, just keep it to yourself. All politics is bad. Keep it out of the church. No, I'm not saying that. In fact, I'm saying the opposite. I'm saying as a Christ follower, you have a duty. We have a role to play in the politics of our nation. But that role is to do what's best for our community, not what's best for us. To do what's best for the hurting people around us, not what makes us more comfortable. And so as you engage in the political process over these next couple of months, there's one last thing I want to encourage you to do, and that is to focus on character. Put the focus on character. Your character first, the character with which you carry yourself and interact with others, but also the character of those you support. Understand, as Christ followers, every time we step into the voting booth, we are making a choice between the lesser of two evils. Every time. Jesus ain't on the ballot. 
And so because of that, we're always having to decide between the lesser of two evils. There are no perfect candidates. But often there are character differences in those candidates. And while modern politics tells us it's all about results, it's all about getting the agenda through, character doesn't matter. God's word is crystal clear that the character of our leaders matters. Ecclesiastes 10.2, it says, the heart of the wise, the, the heart of the one with character leads to right, but the heart of a fool without character leads to wrong. So when you decide in a couple of months, when you stand in that booth and punch those buttons and pull that lever, Will you make that decision on their ability to accomplish the agenda you're comfortable with or the character of the man or woman you're voting for? Will you take a short-term approach or will you take the long-term approach? In Isaiah chapter 32, there's an incredible prophetic picture of what our life will be like when Jesus returns to rule, when Jesus comes and claims his throne. And I, Isaiah shares with us what that's going to look like. And it's an amazing picture when the king of kings, whose character is perfect, rules over us. In fact, let me just assign that to you as homework. This week, at some point this week, I want you to read the, the first eight verses of Isaiah chapter 32. Because you'll be encouraged. You're like, I don't think it's the day, but one day, one day, this is what our lives as Christ followers will be like. So read it and be encouraged instead of keep watching the news and being discouraged. Know what's coming. But I also want you to know within that prophetic picture of Jesus' rule, Isaiah gives us a contrast between two different types of leaders. Notice verse 7 and 8. Isaiah says, scoundrels use wicked methods to make up evil schemes. But the noble, the noble make noble plans and by noble deeds they stand. Man, if I've heard it once, I've heard it 10,000 times over the last three years. Philip, the church gotta take a stand. The church has got to take a stand. We've got, we got to take a stand as Christians. And you're absolutely right, church. we got to take a stand, but let's make sure we're standing on the right thing. Let's make sure we're standing strong for the king of kings and his eternal kingdom, not our own personal political preferences. And so I want to close with just this final question. Over these next three months, what would be one thing you could do to have faith in this election? What would faith for you look like in this coming election? For some of you, it means actually engage, register to vote, vote biblical values. <laughs> God's grace has provided us, the church, with a voice. You do know most of our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world have no voice at all. So yes, 
We ought to be a voice, a voice of compassion, not personal political preferences. For some of us, we need to do a little more vetting on the people we choose to support politically. Not just listen to what your echo chamber news station tells you about that person or their character or their beliefs. Find out as much as you can. Vet who you're voting for and vote for character. For almost all of us, one of the best things we can do is just change our tone in how we discuss politics. Change the tone of our social media. Follow the wisdom from the book of James. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Some of you, I'm convinced some of you, your next step is actually to consider running for political office. And Philip, you just spent 30 minutes telling us why we, you know, politics isn't the answer. But can I tell you, the Bible is full of examples of godly men and women who were able to have uh, authority within broken, messed up kingdoms and make a difference for God's people and the kingdom. Daniel in the court of Nebuchadnezzar. Maybe for some of you, God is calling you to be in the political arena. I don't know. I don't know what your next step is, but I know that I know this. My desire, my heart for every one of us is that when we wake up on Wednesday morning, November 9th, that we can look back over these past three months and be able to say, we kept the faith and we honored God with the way we lived our lives. Would you pray with me? Oh, Jesus, I thank you so much for hope in you, living hope, hope that doesn't ride up and down with the pendulum of politics of our nation, hope that transcends nations, an eternal hope that you have called us to a kingdom and one day you will return in glory and victory. But Father, I pray that you would forgive us when we've been fighting the wrong fight. When we've been putting our passion and our energy and our resources into winning elections rather than winning the world for you. Winning our neighbor. Living out the faith in a way that draws people to you. God, I know none of us can do this on our own because we're so bombarded everywhere we turn. There's division, there's anger, there's hate, there's brokenness, there's injustice. And so, Father, pour out your spirit on your church so that we might live lives that point to you. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.